Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Balance Sheet Breakdown, a Wilkin and Gutton Plan podcast. Today on the Balance Sheet Breakdown, we're going to be talking through a set of audited financial statements uh, for a typical homeowner association in New Jersey. Our goal today is to highlight the purpose of an audit, what's contained in the audited financial statements, and what they mean to unit owners and associations in general. I'm Chris Frederick, a partner with the firm, and joining me today is Wilkin and Gutton Plan's newest partner, Mike Mezzo. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Of course, Chris. Yep, happy to be here. And thank you for the nice uh, welcoming to the partner group. So just to give everyone a little bit of background, you know, about myself as well. You know, I've been with the firm for just over about 10 years. The first training at PNC, uh, my first day at the firm. So I've been here for just about 10 years, mainly since the start. I've been in this year of practice. About five years ago, I would say I really made this my main practice. It's been pretty much about 95% of my workload then. So really hoping, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what the audit entails and what it involves and also people who just aren't getting the most out of the audit process and those financials that we present at the end of the year. So I think there's a lot of good information that hopefully we can uncover today. Yeah, I agree. I think something that I think we get asked a lot is what is an audit? I think the important distinction is an audit is not bookkeeping. A hundred percent. That's a hundred percent accurate. So I think that's probably the number one misconception that we get. You know, when we go out to present these financial statements, people always just think of us as the accountant, right? They think, oh, I have bookkeeping question or bank reconciliation question. How do I do this? And it's a clear distinction that in fact, you know, if we did do any of those services, bookkeeping, our independence is impaired and we would be precluded from doing the audit. And so I, I think that's a great point, right? Exactly. Yeah. Most of the property management companies we know in New Jersey have robust accounting departments and they're really the one responsible for the bookkeeping for those bank reconciliations. And so our audit is specifically not bookkeeping. Exactly. Yep. So the way I lay it out uh, for our clients is that that's our starting point. You know, we yep. take, uh, like you said, they have reputable management companies have very, very robust accounting departments, and they put together a pretty sound set of financial statements. Those year end, whether you be a calendar year end or fiscal year end, you know, whatever year year end is, December, August, whatever it may be, that's our starting point. The, the financial statements for that last 12 month period is what we're going to be diving into it and testing. Right. I agree. And I think that's a great point into what do our procedures look like, right? There are we audit on a test basis. We're not there to tick and tie every single transaction. We're not there to rebuild any sort of financial statements for the year. We're there, we're engaged to test on a selective sample, right, based on materiality, some of the transactions of the association, look at raw source documents, but we're there to look at every single transaction. Exactly. And something I always tell people too, is because I don't want anyone to get misleading idea that we're not, you know, auditing up to par. If we, right. If we don't look at 100% of transactions, uh, over auditing is almost as big of a concern or offense as under auditing, because, you know, where do you draw the line then as to where you give your opinion, right? So, you really need to calculate that materiality threshold and test strictly up to, to that threshold. Right. So, and that's common practice, as I'm sure you know most people listening in might know. And as I'm sure you've come across, even for entities that are publicly traded on the yeah. stock, all audits sure. that are done, whether it be Pepsi or Amazon, you know, there's a materiality threshold. None of those audits are looking at 100%. You can't, right? I mean, most companies and, and our homeowner associations are no different. They have robust accounting teams that take care of the day-to-day -day accounting. To reperform all that accounting is expensive and time-consuming, and the audits would just never ever get out the door. Now, right, that doesn't mean that we never find errors or mistakes, right? Because, you know, I think risk-based auditing, which is the type of audits that are done, is, you know, you identify the risks and that's where you spend your time digging through those details. And so, you know, we certainly do come across our fair share of errors and mistakes and they're not uncommon. You know, I think especially with some of, you know, smaller associations, 
uh, less complex back-end accounting offices certainly have those errors that we know where typically work with the board and with management to to get those corrected it's not exactly is it yeah it's not the end of the day it's nothing to be concerned of another thing to mention too is that those don't preclude or prevent us from issuing what's known as a clean audit opinion right so there's nothing wrong with having some adjustments within the audit i think that everyone that we do it's very rare to be honest that i i do an audit with zero adjustments with a perfect set of financials to start once at the part of approving the audit is really signified by the board signature on the representation letter is referred to as. So by signing that letter, one of the points in there is that they will accept and agree to post all of the adjustments that we've proposed with the audit. So I think that's the real key, you know, by approving the audit, accepting all the adjustments that we posted and getting that clean set. Another thing just to note too, is that while we don't look at 100% of items, that materiality threshold, the way it's really viewed is that anything that falls under that threshold wouldn't have any material impact to end user of the financial. So when we talk about a condo or an HOA in New Jersey, that would most likely be potential buyers, mortgage brokers, underwriters for those mortgages. And basically what we're saying is that anything that falls under that threshold that we've calculated materiality, even if there was an error in there, it wouldn't impact the decision process of one of those potential buyers or mortgage lenders. Right. And you mentioned the audit opinion a couple of times, right? And so clean opinions, the, the unmodified opinion. So with that, you can read it, right? Grab your audit, read the opinion. It, it, it says in there that we believe it's our opinion that the books are free of material misstatement, right? We're not saying, hey, these books are perfect in every way, shape, or form down to the penny for every single account. We're saying, hey, we've audited on a test basis, and it's our opinion that the books are free of material misstatement. They are materially correct. I think that's an important distinction. Our audit opinion does not comment on the financial health or financial well-being of an association, which is something that we get asked about every so often. And so, you know, it's it's tough to say, right? Because we're, we're not engaged to assess the financial health of an association, right? We're being engaged to tell you if that year's financial statements are materially correct. Exactly. The first thing I do when I present an audit to one of our clients is to go through the audit opinion. And every meeting I have, I mention that. I said, there is no correlation between a clean audit opinion and financial health. It really, as you mentioned, just indicates that what happened during the year is fairly presented in the financials that we're going to discuss. Well, I mean, listen, a great example of that recent dust here in the broader market, SVB, the the bank in California that failed. A month before they failed, they had a clean audit opinion, right? So their financials were materially correct. A month later, they're going through insolvency and they're in the process of being liquidated and acquired by others, right? So I I think that's just it. Our audit is saying that the numbers are, are materially correct. We do have to assess going concern, right? So if there was a concern that the association wouldn't be able to operate a year from now, that's a whole separate list of disclosures. But, you know, generally, if you get an unmodified clean audit opinion, as they call it, that really says, hey, yep, the association appears to have the wherewithal to exist for, you know, the next 12 months from issuance date. And so, so there are opportunities where if really bad and there's concerns about it being able to continue as an operation, we have some obligations to make assessments for going concern. But that's not necessarily to the overall financial health of the association thinking about our financials, right? So you have the cover, the table of contents, the audit opinion is is really the first bit of uh, information presented. And then comes the statements, right? We typically see four statements in almost all of our clients, balance sheet income statements, statement of changes in retained earnings, cash flows. That's the standard set of financial statements. 
Agreed. Yeah, that definitely is present in all the audits that we issue for our condo and HOA clients. The one additional one, it's a supplemental schedule that we put in there, but we just find it to be beneficial to most of our clients as a comparison of, you know, actual to budget for the income statement or P&L. So, and what I'd really love to uh, help, you know, bridge the gap to say is that say, we have clients that are very involved in the audit process. They want to have two or three meetings to review it. They're very, very uh, hands-on when it comes to it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have clients where they want management to handle everything. And for those people, we really want you to be able to understand your financial statements and use them as a tool. Because while it is a required procedure that you have to have done every year, you know, through your bylaws, you are having that done. And if you're going through the exercise of having it done, I think, you know, why not be able to benefit and use it as a financial planning tool. So when thinking of the statement, I can usually find some easy points of metrics or, or KPIs as to how you're doing. Because although our audit opinion doesn't indicate any kind of financial health, you could easily look at the statements and interpret them yourself without an untrained financial eye or somebody that's familiar with doing that. It's kind of hard to pick some of those things out. Yeah, right. If you had an accounting class, you probably have seen all the standard ratios that are available and out there and what sort of information they provide. And I think one that comes to mind is the current ratio is really easy one to look at. That's current liabilities compared to current assets. And that kind of gives you, the reader of the financial statements, an indication for association's ability to cover their current liabilities with their current assets, right? A good set of clean audited books gives you the backbone, to your point, to take and further apply um, against some standard you know, KPIs and metrics. And I think that's a great one that you mentioned. And to be honest, I even dive down deeper. That ratio at times can be broad for the condo industry. I think what I usually refer our clients who is really just looking at your operating cash to your current operating liabilities. So there are some timing differences that can throw off the current ratio for condo and HOA clients, mainly the timing of payments of assessments. So, you know, you have some unit owners who cut a check on December for the whole next year. You know, you have a little bit of a front loading and then you have people who are behind. Yep. So I always try to just have them look at their accounts payable and accrued expenses in, in each one of their different funds and then kind of compare that to the related cash in those funds and say, you know, how am I doing? Am I able to cover these? and have the sufficient means to cover yeah. my liabilities. I think you mentioned it. I think thinking about fund accounting, fund accounting is, is a bit unique yes. to associations, you know, CIRA entities, and really governmental entities. You're the only two places I've seen fund accounting, right? So when I think about fund accounting, when a typical association here in New Jersey looks at their balance sheet, they have their operating fund, and at least their replacement funder. I don't think I've ever seen one that didn't have them, but those well, are really- I have one. I have one yeah, that one. doesn't, yeah. But, so. It almost becomes you know, two- sub-entities of the overall association, right? It's supposed to be ran independently. They each have their own separate defined purpose. So that's certainly unique. So understanding what fund accounting is, how the individual columns, how those individual funds maybe correlate to each other. You know, I, th I think something we typically see are intercompany receivables and payables between, you know, the operating and replacement fund, right? And, and all that means is you've collected on paper assessments typically for your replacement fund, but you haven't sent the cash over there to match the collection exactly. of those assessments. Yep. That's right? one of the more common ones that we see. And honestly, there's probably dozens of transactions that, you know, sometimes a, a reserve fund expense might come in and, right. and the operating fund cuts the check yeah, because yeah. they have an, a checking yeah. account. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the reserves are usually held in, in with brokerage firms yeah. or, or so sometimes that money might not be as liquid and easy to cut, uh, you know, payments yeah. out of. So sometimes the, the operating fund might pay a, you know, a bill for the reserve or deferred maintenance on behalf of that fund and, and then own the money back. So there, there are a number of transactions that can cause that. And it's important to understand, as you noted. So I was a little bit lucky because previously before coming here, I worked at another 
another CPA from one of the big four accounting firms and was in their governmental group. <laughs> I was very lucky that I fund accounting. So the purpose of fund accounting really is that you want to maintain the integrity of every dollar, right? And I know that commingling is, you know, has a negative connotation. We don't mean it in that way, but just from ease of operations. Each one of those funds, like we said, has a very specific funding purpose. You know, when we talk about your reserve fund, it's all those capital components, the common elements, items like the clubhouse, you're in like a stack unit or a townhome association, the roofs, the siding of those shared buildings, those types of things, kind of the things that everybody has a shared ownership in. So that's what the reserve fund is really going towards funding, what what it's aimed at. When you then put a dollar away in the reserve fund, right, you want to make sure that you have a separate cash account and that you have a separate place to put that dollar that was, you know, intended to be used for a roof replacement project 15 years down the road, get used by, you know, the operating fund to pay a a snow invoice or a landscaping. Exactly. So that's why we really want to make sure that we're adhering to the fund accounting. There should be separate cash accounts. Um, and then that really allows you to kind of get back into those KPIs to evaluate the the um, performance of each one of those funds individually. Right. So, you know, if I, we talked a little about some KPIs on the balance sheet and looking at the income statement, I can now uh, take a look at each one of those funds and they basically each have their own income statement. So I could say, you know, how did my replacement fund do this year? How did my deferred maintenance or operating fund do? Did I net profit? Did I over expend my maintenance assessments. Yep. And one of the biggest things I would say that I always direct our clients to when looking at the income statement is, you know, a lot of people, especially when you're serving on a board, they deal with a lot of feedback. You know, it's very easy to play Monday morning quarterback when you're not on the board. You know, the residents and unit owners always are very vocal about, you know, what's not going well and and what their opinion on things are. And I know that it can be difficult. A lot of times people say it's just a condo, it's just an HOA. How hard can it be? And I can tell you that it actually is pretty difficult because your budget breaks even, right? So one of the things that I always show our clients during our meetings is I say, you know, look at your income statement. I'm just going to make up some random numbers, but say you have a million dollars of revenues, right? more often than not and you know myself i'm involved probably in about 125 150 you know of these audits a year uh, so i see a, a decent amount year to year most commonly 90 plus percent of their revenues the total revenues that they're going to account on for the year are directly from the unit owners whether it be a maintenance assessment a special assessment whatever you call it you usually look at you know a site having like i said making up numbers maybe a million dollars of revenues right for the year probably nine hundred thousand or more of that is going to be from the unit owners yeah. so you go from your largest source of revenue being nine hundred thousand dollars down to maybe fifty thousand dollars for your next line item so it just is a really great visual as to how important um those maintenance assessments are and like i said your budget breaks even you know you don't yeah. budget for profit right well and and to your point right if we're in a time of rising costs when it costs more money to run your association where does it come from the only source you have is raising that the most significant line of income on your income statement raising those maintenance assessments right and so everybody tries to be as fiscally responsible as they can really try to keep those costs in line because at the end of the day it all trickles down to the individual homeowners exactly and just like you said the, the real only answer is raising the revenues if there's a magical way to just reduce all those costs or if there's a magical way to somehow generate some unknown source of revenues that, that we haven't found yet i'm all ears you can be the highest paid yeah. consultant in the industry i said i'll be willing to co-author a book if it yeah. happens so. no for sure and thinking our way right through the financial statements it's the audit opinion it's the balance sheet it's income statement change in equity cash flows the financial statement footnotes right so i, I think the financial statement footnotes there's a lot of good information in them but right, you have to know what you're looking for. So it's it talks about accounting policies, revenue recognition, the use of estimates, mm-hmm. and then it gets into right, some of the details about some of the individual aspects of the financial statements. How old is the reserve study? What is the reserve study? What's the funding base look like? Mm-hmm. 
where are the investments? Are they CDs? When are they maturing? What level of investments are they if, if they all just cash equivalent, easily valued investments? And so there's a lot of good information in the footnote, but you have to know what you're looking for, I think, in, in some cases in order to really extract it out. I agree. And for the scope of what our board member clients would be looking for, you know, to be honest, a lot of the accounting policy notes and things like that, they do tend to be standard. You know, that sometimes there's a new accounting policy or pronouncement that might come up. So like you said, I would really recommend diving through the investment notes, things like that. There's usually or always rather a good summary of engineering study that they have done for the replacement fund. Gives a good synopsis of what the engineer recommends that the association should have funded and what they actually did. So that's kind of a good place to look. And then one of the other things too, is that we keep mentioning, we want these to be available as a good financial planning tool. You know, if a board wants to do uh, some type of large project and they need to know if they have the funds available for it, and if they're the health to do it, we want them to be able to have comfort in the numbers and comfort to be able to look at the financials and say, I can, oh, here's my reserve fund bounce. Right. Here's my starting point. Plan for that budget for it. Exactly. The disclosures is another important place to look for things like that. And especially also for potential buyers. You know, we talked about the income statement and the statement of fund balances and things like that. You know, you can look there and get what your fund balance is, and that will tell you what happened during the most recent 12 months and where you stand financially at the end of those 12 months. But another great place to look for in the disclosures that you mentioned is also for things down the road. If there's any significant commitments, any significant subsequent events, you know, that have happened since the association GRN, we're actually required to disclose all those up until the date that the uh, board approves the audit. So for example, if we're working on a calendar year client and, and their reports that we audited ended December 31st, if we don't finish the audit and approve the audit until June of the next year, we would have to review any kind of significant events that have happened from January to June of the following year and evaluate that. So that's another great place to look. And like I mentioned, for potential buyers as well, because you might not have seen a special assessment maybe in the audit that you're looking at on the income statement, but maybe the board approved one after year end. And maybe, you know, that's something that would definitely be required to be disclosed. So, you know, something I would definitely recommend is to look through those disclosures, not only for the ones that we've talked about before, but some of those commitments, any significant subsequent events, any kind of things like that. There's a lot of good information that don't necessarily always correlate to dollars and cents on the balance sheet that are kind of tucked in those footnotes. Listen, I think this is all really great information. To me, the kind of big takeaway here is it's just important to understand what your association's audited financial statements mean, what they're telling you. I feel like we've kind of covered a good synopsis of really what that is. Uh, anything else you care to add as we wrap up? Uh, no, not too much. And just to never be shy, I guess, about reaching out to your professionals. You know, you do have, you know, whether it be an engineer when you're evaluating that engineer report or the audit like we're discussing today, you have the professionals that you're paying for the services. And if you have questions about the information in your financials and, and if you're not accustomed or used to reviewing and have a comfort level with extracting some information from the financials, Call us. That's exactly what we're here for. Give us a call. We could walk you through any kind of key pieces of information that you're looking for and help you extract it. So I think that would be probably the biggest takeaway from today is if you're not having a board meeting done every year and you know you, there was some information that you wanted to dive a little bit deeper into from our conversation today, don't be shy to send an email or pick up the phone. And we do have some things coming down the road in the industry. So it's been a, an interesting 12 months that has just passed, but there's some new legislature. Uh, I know after the collapse in Surfside down in Florida, many states have been reviewing some you know, structural integrity bills, which is going to require some new inspections down the road. And I think that that legislature is pretty far along the way. So be tuned, you know, stay tuned for, for some of that. We're hoping to get something out later this year. And uh, the other real big pressing thing that was in the industry uh, this year was, you know, if you are living in a newer site, a newer service, 
association that may have been still under the control of the developing entity. There's funding requirements that developing agent has to pay to help keep the association afloat and help subsidize some of the expenses that they have throughout that period. So there's an entirely new legislation, which is out. Like the structural integrity, that's out. We rolled it out in a lot of our audits that we just did with earlier this spring. Once again, it's all still very new. So once the dust settles, uh, like I said, stay tuned and hopefully we can get some more information either on the podcast or through some of our newsletters later this year on that. That's great. I think that'll about do us for today. Um, thank you for joining us on another episode of the Balance Sheet Breakdown. I'm Chris Frederick, helping you make sense of the numbers.